Good morning, everyone. Grace and mercy and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jim. I've been around here a couple times. Um, I was on staff here from about 1997 to about 2006. So uh, I was here back in the day when this building was actually made. I was wandering around back here earlier and looking up at the, the tall um, network cables that Alan Davis and I and others ran in the dark of night many times uh, when we were trying to get this building built. And I was just thinking about that today. It was right after that that they came out with this cool thing called wireless internet. And um, it was just after we'd done all that. So um, it's, it's really fun to be here. And, and thank you for, um, you know, I've just seen a lot of you that I, I, I know and I remember. A lot of you that I, I don't remember your name. And, you know, hey, I, I turned 50 this year. So if you can, if you can believe that. But this morning, um, the passage uh, that Josh asked me to speak on here was in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, and it's a tough passage. I mean, it really is. If, uh, if you've been going through Romans here the last few weeks, and you can know that this early part of Romans is it's all doom and gloom and death and hell, and there is a reason for that. We're going to talk about that, um, but, but let me start it this way. You are much worse than you think you are. And God is much better than you think he is. You are much more unrighteous than you think you are. And God is much more holy and righteous than you think he is. You are much more needful of a Savior than you think he is. And he's much more willing to save you than you think he is. This part of Romans is very unpalatable to a world that doesn't want to hear anything about sin. It's very unpalatable. It's unpleasant to the world. These first few chapters of Romans describe the human condition in all of its ugliness. You and I and everyone else are sinners. From Romans 1.18, the emphasis has been on the sinfulness of all people and the righteousness of God. That's important to note. Not just our sinfulness, but God's righteousness. And, and it doesn't matter who you are. And, and Paul's been describing this situation for Jews and Gentiles in early chapters in Romans. The point for all this here in Romans chapter 3 is that all people are under the righteous, impartial just wrath of God for their sin. Oh, that's politically incorrect, right? Nobody, that's no fun. Nobody wants to hear that they're much worse than they think they are. And the summary statement of all this emphasis on human sin and God's righteousness is found in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, how many are sinners? The answer is all. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So all are sinners. And then Paul, in his typical Jewish way, he says the same thing in a different way, verse 10. But uh, how, how many are righteous? Well, the answer is none. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So all are sinners, none are righteous. And then he goes on here in verse 11, and he just hammers it. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
And you're thinking, wait a second, Paul. Hang on a second here. You don't know me. I'm a pretty good fella. At least I'm better than that no good louse of my neighbor over there. I'm a pretty good dude. You're saying that no one does good, not even one? Well, Paul just goes on and he just keeps beating us up with this. He goes on with a withering barrage of Old Testament quotes from Isaiah and the Psalms describing every part of humanity as stained with sin. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Our mouth, our feet, our tongue, everything about us. It's stained with sin. All people are sinners. That includes you. You are much worse than you think you are. And God is much more holy than you think he is. Both Gentile and Jew in the context of the early chapters of Romans are sinners under the impartial, the righteous wrath of God for their sin. And no person in all creation can escape this righteous judgment by anything we do because here's our inherent problem. Our sinful condition stands in direct opposition to the full blazing righteousness of God. Now, this first section of Romans has a lot of bad news, but it's here for an important reason. It's here to show us how desperately we need a Savior, how desperately lost we are. And we sing, we sing this in the song here. We're lost without the cross. We need help. We need a Savior. That's what this is doing, this withering barrage of quotes. You're not righteous. You're a sinner. Your throat is an, an open grave. Everything about you is stained with sin. But God is holy. You are much more sinful than you think you are, and God is much more holy than you think he is. God is the external, outside of us, objective standard of righteousness, and that's what God did for us at the cross. He gave us his righteousness, the perfect Savior, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, slain for the sins of the world, and this great exchange exchanges our sin for his righteousness. Wait a second. That's a crazy deal. Who would make that deal? Only God. He's the only one that could make that deal, right? He takes on our sin in himself. The cross is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. He's, he's the external outside of us objective standard of righteousness. We can't even begin to imagine how pure and holy he is. There's a song that I like this line. That though I call you Lord, I must confess, I'm a stranger to your holiness. It's alien to me. It's a foreign language. I can't even begin to understand it. God, you are everything that you ought to be, and I'm everything that I should not be. I am much more sinful than I thought I was. And God is much more righteous than I thought he was. These verses in their context provide a nutshell view 
of the two ways that God communicates to us through the Bible. Two big categories. They're law and gospel. Another way to say it is commands and promises. Law and gospel, right? Law is anything that God requires of you. A commandment. Do this, don't do that. Gospel is anything that God does for you. Law is to be obeyed. And gospel is to be believed or accepted. So the law discovers the disease, and the gospel gives the remedy, Martin Luther said. Starting here in Romans chapter 3, 21, we see a great example because Paul's going to make a transition from law to gospel. And starting there, he's going to give an example of this broad category of gospel. I'll come back to law in just a minute. So and this, this is what is promised to you, verse 22, the righteousness of God, right? That's what salvation is. God gives you his righteousness by faith. You trust that that's true, and you're exchanging your sin for his righteousness. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? For all who do nice things and help people and put dollars in the plate? No, it says the righteousness of God for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned. How many have sinned? Are you one of those all? Yes, you are. Turn to your neighbor. Say, I've sinned. I'm busted. Yeah, you're totally busted. You don't believe me? Okay, so love your neighbor with all your, or uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your, your mind, and your soul, and your strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you done both of those perfectly in your entire life in word, action, and deed? And in the matter of your heart? No, you haven't. I haven't. Have you met my neighbor? <laughs> really? Have you met my neighbor? I don't love that guy. Have you met these lousy people they have in Washington that represent us? I don't love those guys. Have you met that person that killed my cousin? I don't love that guy. See, we, we easily justify our hatred of other people, don't we? We easily, it's very, very easy to do. I am busted. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Oh, that's good news. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means a sacrifice, all right? As, as a lamb slain on the altar, blood spilled for your, to pay your penalty, for, to, to be received by faith. So what is this thing called salvation? It is God's righteousness given to you because of our simple, simple condition, we need help. God's righteousness given to you because of your faith. That's what saving faith is. It's directional trust. It's trust pointed in the direction of a bleeding and dying Savior who is absolutely, infinitely perfect and spotless. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. That means paid in full. The, debt, the sin debt is paid. Receive it. Would you receive it? Would you trust him? Would you, would you point your trust in that direction of Jesus? That's what salvation is all about. Now, here's the problem. We carry around our own sin all the time, right? We carry around our own sin, and we're, and we're cowering. We're saying, well, I, I got to clean myself up. <laughs> I got to do nice things. I got to help people, right? But we live in the shadow of that cross where Jesus spilled his perfect, holy 
righteous blood. You took that, that juice and that bread, or, you know, uh, took that in just a few minutes ago. Do you stop and think about it? This is the holy and perfect body and blood of Jesus Christ I'm putting into my body? Now, that'll freak you out. Like, wait, wait a second. I, I am a stranger to that holiness. I am much worse than I thought I was. And he is much more holy than I thought he was. See, everybody wants to be good on their own. I'm, I'm a pretty good fella, you know. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that gal. But your, your own goodness is not good enough. The Old Testament says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, and that's the rated PG version. In Hebrew, it's much, much more disgusting than that. All our righteousness is like really dirty, nasty, filthy, yucky stuff. That's all our righteousness compared to God. Well, we need help, right? In order to stand before the righteous judge on that final day, we need help. We need a Savior. See, that's the gospel. The gospel says, done. And here's your promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what does it say? Whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. That's the amazing, stunning, mind-boggling good news of the gospel. The gospel in the Bible means that God has done all the doing that needs to be done, and he's done it for you in your place. What did you do? Nothing. That's the broad category of gospel. It says done. On the other hand, law in the Bible says do or don't. Do or don't. And it's what God requires of you. Did you know that God requires his perfect holiness of you? Wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> that's kind of weird. I, I, I can't handle that. But that's the standard. He's the standard. And according to the verses I just read here in Romans 3, uh, we've all failed. All are sinners. None are righteous. You just said it out loud earlier. I'm busted. And that's the biblical category of law. God requires righteousness from us because of our failure. Verse 20 says, we can't do more law keeping to clean ourselves up. We can't put enough law, keeping soap on ourselves to make a stand before a holy God. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Paul is quoting there from Psalm 143, where it says that enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. In other words, no matter what I do to clean myself up, no matter what anyone else does, no human being is righteous and holy before God. We need help. This is the holy, external, absolute law of God that demands righteousness from you, and it says do or don't. Now, that's pretty harsh, but it gets even worse. <laughs> in fact, Jesus summed up the entire law in Matthew 5, 48. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You, therefore, hear this, must be perfect. Why? Because your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is quoting from Leviticus there. And if you've never squirmed or felt sick to your stomach when you heard that verse, you weren't listening. Perfect. What does perfect mean? It means perfect. It means without stain, without spot, without blemish, in every thought, word, action, and deed. You must be perfect. 
perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then everybody goes, but, but wait a second, Jesus, I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. You are much more sinful and broken and desperate and needy than you thought you were. Jesus is much more holy and perfect and righteous than you thought he was. You know, people all, all the time excuse themselves, right? Yeah, I know I did that thing. I shouldn't have done it. But nobody's perfect. Hear that all the time, right? You know that's dead wrong, right? <laughs> Jesus is absolutely perfect. He's the gold standard, not my lousy, no good neighbor. Jesus is the gold standard. And compared to him, I'm, 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 I'm busted. I'm toast. Compared to him, I am nothing. I am a stranger to your holiness. I can't even speak the language. So I've said all this to get to a question. If God's law doesn't make us right with God, but only his gospel, then what is the purpose of the law? And that's where Paul is going here in Romans 3, 19 and 20. See, the law discovers the disease for us. The gospel is what provides the remedy. Law shows us what sin is. It shows us how lost we are. Someone put it like this, and I really like this. It's easy to remember. Throughout the Bible, there's an SOS message. Save our souls, right? It's danger. It's trouble. SOS. Well, the gospel shows our Savior, SOS. And the law shows our sin, SOS. That's just easy to remember, and that really sticks out in my mind, right? The law shows me what my sin is so that I realize that I need his holiness, I need his righteousness, and I need to trust him. Now, notice here in, in uh, Romans 3, 19 and 20, there's four ways that God's law works. First of all, God's law speaks to everyone. His law goes, you know, reading read Psalm 19, his word goes out through all the earth, right? His law speaks to everyone in all situations at all times. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. His commandments are always true. They're always do and don't, and they always require the same standard of every person. All the time you hear in our culture, you hear this all the time, we need to be evolving in our morality. That's not a biblical concept at all. That, that's a human concept, but it's, God is not evolving at all. What he said back then is the same as he says right now to you. He requires his righteousness of you. His law speaks to all people. He's talked about Jews in the first couple chapters. He's talked about Gentiles. The Jews thought, well, we're righteous because we are descendants of Abraham and we have God's law. Paul says, no, 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 you're busted. You heard the law, but you didn't do it. And then he speaks to Gentiles. He says, Gentiles, well, they have the law of conscience in their mind, you know, but then they really don't go ahead and do what they know to be right. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile or who you are. The verdict is that, like we said earlier, all are sinners, none are righteous. So under the law there in verse 19, it means under the, the, the sphere or the influence of God's law. Every person on the planet is under that sphere, under the influence we might try to get away from it. We might try to squirm away. You know, I don't want to listen. But it's still out there. It still speaks to all creation, whether we want to hear it or not. But it goes on there. The law doesn't just speak. It also shuts everyone up. 
The law will, will convict everyone, right? It shuts everyone up. It says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Now, have you ever noticed that all of humanity is infected with this nasty little virus called the yabbits? You never heard of that one. It's a medical term, probably, but um, the yabbits. Everyone has a bad case of the yabbits. And everybody comes up with all these lame excuses. I do a lot of business coaching for people and with online businesses and stuff, and I try to help them, you know, do things. And, and part of that is, is changing prices on their online stuff. And I'll say, listen, you haven't changed your prices in six months. Yeah, but I just don't have time. Well, if, if you're going to, if you, you need to do this so you have success in your business. Yeah, but I, I really don't understand it. Or yeah, but I really just don't want to do it. Or whatever the excuse is. Have you ever noticed that everybody's got the yabbits? And I know this is silly, but I think of this humanities, this pond of little frogs. Yabbit. 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 You know, there's little ice sticking out of the water, the pond scum floating by, and everybody's just going, whatever the thing is. Yeah, but, yeah, but, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but, <laughs> have you met my neighbor? Don't covet. Yeah, but, have you seen my neighbor's car? <laughs> it's awesome. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but, <laughs> my wife doesn't even like me. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Yeah, but my parents are so lame. Young people, save yourself. Sexually for marriage. Yeah, but that is so 1940s. The culture is evolving in its morality, all this nonsense. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. You know what the law does? It shuts everyone up. When you're humble before God, you know what the, this, this, this word stopped here in verse 19? I love this. It, it means, um, the Greek word, it means to close up or to to, you know, literally to put something over it. So a loose paraphrase of this, the law says stick a cork in it. You know, it, it shuts you up. When you look, you look at the holiness of God and you look what his word says and you listen and you humble yourself before that, what, what, what word do you have to say? What defense do you have? Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth stand in silence before him. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? The people who will listen to God's word and humble themselves have no defense. The prideful and self-righteous, on the other hand, they're that pond of frogs. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You know, the law sooner or later is going to shut every mouth. And I would prefer it for me to be sooner than later. <laughs> so I know, and I hope you know, that I'm much more unrighteous than I thought I was. That he's much more holy than I thought he was. Third, the law holds everyone accountable to God. It holds everyone down. It holds everyone under the weight of it. That Greek word translated accountable is a very, very strong word. It literally means held down, held under the judgment of God. God's law holds that whole world accountable. You know, God, the holy, infinite creator of the universe, 
the perfect one, the righteous. That word righteous, we can't even extend. That, that English word righteous doesn't even begin to describe the perfection of God. He's that holy, that perfect, that awesome. It's in his court that we all are going to appear. And what are we going to say? I don't have anything. Got nothing. So I really need somebody to stand between me and him. A perfect one, a loving one, who extends his grace and mercy to me. You know, I was thinking about this. The law of God has really declared us all guilty. It's the people who listen that recognize that, right? It's already declared us guilty. There's not going to be any surprises on that day. Maybe the reason why we don't understand our own depth of sinfulness, maybe it's because we don't understand how truly holy he is. There's a fourth way that the, work, the, the law works here, and that is that the law reveals our sinfulness. The law is a diagnostic tool that slices us open and reveals who we are. It compares us to the righteous God and says, I'm a stranger to his holiness. Now, this is verse 20. For the, again, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Since God is a perfect, righteous, holy God, his righteousness is his requirement. And then, he, so he tells us how to discern that. His law reveals to us how lost we are, how desperate we are. The law discovers the disease, and the gospel gives the remedy. That's what the law does. It shows us what our sin is. If you look in the mirror and you've got junk all over your face, right, the mirror doesn't clean you up. The mirror doesn't do anything. It just shows you who you are. We read in James that when we look into the perfect law of liberty, and we do what it says, not just hear it, but when we do what it says, that's when we're actually putting our trust in the holy and righteous God, the perfect law of liberty. God's law helps you know and see who you really are. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's not the law that saves us. A lot of people think, hey, if, if I just do nice things, then, you know, God will overlook all the stuff I did all my life. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. People think all the time, I'm going to go to church so I get my golden ticket stamped with God. Lots of people think that. that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Our sinful condition stands in opposition to the righteousness of God. So what we really need to do is look at the righteousness of God and then say, Maybe I need to make some adjustments. <laughs> Trust in his righteousness. See, it's, it's, it's a good thing for you that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's been said before, and I agree with this, that actually telling people that they need a Savior, actually telling people that they are unrighteous and holy is one of the most difficult things there is to do. You know, you just look at the world the way the world is right now. Nobody wants to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm much worse than I thought it was. Nobody. You don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. This is what the law does. It shows us who we are. You are much worse than you think you are. 
and he's much more holy than you thought he was. God's law acts as a lens, a magnifying glass to open up that part of our lives we really don't want to see, and that's a good thing because we want to ignore it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to know who we really are. We don't want to listen to God's description of us. Sin blinds us to that reality. A few years ago, I read about a strange and really sad news story from Iceland. There, and this is actually a picture of that area of Iceland where this happened. True story. Um, you can see how wild and remote this is. and It's hard to see in this picture. There's a tiny little blue speck near the middle of that waterfall. There's a person up there in that picture. You can't really see him. It's so small. That's how vast and wild this place is. So this tour bus went to this area, and they, they're on the tour. They get out of the bus. They're walking around, taking their pictures, doing whatever, right? And so when they were done, they got back onto the bus, but there was a woman missing. So they asked everyone, had they seen her? And the description was that she was an Asian woman, that she had been wearing dark clothing, and that she spoke English well. And, you know, nobody knew who she was. I guess she'd been traveling by herself. Nobody knew who she was. They hadn't seen her. They didn't know where she was. And so they began to be very concerned. This is a, a very wild, remote area. She could be injured. You know, she could have fallen to a hole. She could have, you know, broken her leg. Or, you know, they didn't know. So they, went, they all got back out of the bus, and they began searching for her. And this search went on and on when the, the tour bus people started realizing, we're not finding this lady. They called in the authorities. So they bring in the search and rescue team. They bring in the helicopters, the whole thing. And they're searching all day and into the night because this is a desperate situation. She could be dying. Who knows where she's at? They wanted to save her life. And finally, late that night, they called off the search. When they found out this very sad and disturbing thing, the woman that they had been searching for was actually one of the people who was in the search looking for herself. Yeah, I know, I cracked up when I heard it too. She was actually one of the people searching for herself. Turned out she had changed her clothes. Nobody had recognized her when she changed her clothes. And she also did not recognize the description of herself. The police chief, you can imagine how chagrined they were, they brought out all the search and rescue, the helicopters and all that. Police chief in charge of the search said, quote, she had no idea that she was lost. You are much worse than you think you are. And God is much more holy than you think he is. You are much more lost than you think you are. And Jesus is much more willing to save you than you think he is, would you trust him? Because you and I are worse and better than you think. Worse because of our sin, but better because of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Almighty God, thank you for this grace and mercy. Thank you that you extend your mercy. And thank you that we can pray, I need you every hour, and that you listen. Thank you for this church and the witness of this church. For each one is here today, and I pray your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.